Amen. Thank you so much, Caitlin. That, that was a great song, great worship. Thank you so much. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't worry, we'll be in Philippians in a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Tonight we're going to talk about the heart of a minister. The heart of a minister. Do we have any ministers visiting tonight? Any ministers here with us? Oh, you just got busted. I'm going to ask that again a little bit later. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. It's been said that perception is everything. If I were to ask you how you see yourself, you know, a lot of times counselors can get in our hearts and see how we see ourselves. But I want to ask you this. How, how uh, if I ask you who you are, how does Jesus perceive you? What does Jesus say about you? And I'm going to show you in Scripture. I don't make this stuff up. If I can't show you in Scripture, you don't need to believe it. I'm going to show you in Scripture how Jesus views you. And I want you to see this. I want you to look at it. And uh, I want you to, this is so simple, but so profound. I want you to come away from tonight seeing yourself differently because I want you to see you the way he does. Uh, we said a song about treasure. That, that We're the treasure of God. He sees us that way. But I want you to look at something in the New Testament here in the scriptures that speaks to all of us, every one of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says this, clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. Just pause right there. What does the Bible say you are? You're an epistle of Christ. Not technically the word epistle means letter or you are a work of Christ. Most of us don't see ourselves that way. Most of us see ourselves as a struggling sinner, saint on the way to glory, trying to do the best we can. Here's God's perspective. You are a work of Christ. You're an epistle of Jesus Christ himself. Every one of you, if you're, if you're a believer, you're an epistle of Jesus. You're a work that he's doing. Let's read a little further. You're an epistle of Christ ministered by us. Now we helped him a little bit. Written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, or we'd say paper today, but on tablets of flesh of the heart. What did he say right there? Christ is doing a work in your life. And it's not because he handed you a book and you read something. It's because his spirit is in your heart doing something. You are an epistle, a letter, if you want to say it, or a work of Christ. And it's not because you got a book. It's not because you read something. It's because Christ is on the inside working in your heart. And he's working inside of you. Everything Jesus does is not from the head down. It's from the heart out. He starts in the heart. And that's why he said, out of the abundance of the heart. That's why he didn't say, I'll give you a new head. He said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll take the hard heart out of you and I'll put my heart, a tender heart inside of you. And, and it's so clear right now. I want you to see, instead of a struggling saint trying to get to Jesus and be good, I want you to see God is working in me, but he's doing it at heart level. And everything's going to flow out of what he does in my heart. Verse, verse four simply clarifies it. We have such trust through Christ toward God. How many of you have trusted Jesus? Isn't that what it says right there? We're trusting Jesus and he's going to work inside of us. He's working inside of our hearts. So we would call that being born again, being a child of God. And so you see it as, well, I'm a Christian trying to do the best I can. He sees it as somebody he has chosen and he's going to work through at heart level. And we trust him to do what he said he'd do. Now, <clears throat> let me add another one onto that. Let's read the next verse. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of being uh, up from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God. You knew that. Watch verse six. Who also, Paul's right there. You mean, he said, not only that, let me tell you what else I'm doing. 
I drew you to myself and I'm working in your heart. But let me tell you what else I'm doing in you. Who also made us, let's pause right here. Who's us? That's every person that's a believer. You can read the whole text. You'll find out that the context is every person's a believer who also made us sufficient as ministers. Now, let me ask again, are there any ministers here tonight? Got you, didn't I? You said, I, I, that's cute, brother. That's not cute. That's the Bible. Tell me what this said right here. Jesus, when I came to him, he drew me to himself. I came to him and he began to work. I'm a work of Christ. He began to work in my heart and to make me his child and to work in my life. And he also, it doesn't say future tense. He has made me a minister. Matter of fact, so let's read it all. He has made us sufficient or able ministers of the new covenant. Of course, new covenant is what Jesus is doing in the earth. So now I'm two things. If you were to ask me, are you a minister? I'd say, well, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm a licensed preacher too, but I'm a minister as every believer is. Can you see clearly that anybody that follows Jesus, God's working in their lives and he has made you a minister of the new covenant. You just don't have any training. Good, you'll do great. Let's read the rest of it. Not of the education, not of the letter, but of the spirit. You're not qualified to minister because you've got an education. You're qualified to minister because the spirit of God's inside of you working out. Because the letter killeth, the, uh, the law killeth, but the spirit through you gives life. Not to you. That's the first two verses. The spirit through you is going to give life to people around you. He, he pulled me into his kingdom for two reasons. Number one, he, he adores me. He loves me just like he does you. And he wanted me to be his forever bride and friend and son and whatever, your daughter, whatever you want to call it. He pulled me in there. Well, let me ask you a question. Why didn't he beam me up like Scotty does the moment I got saved? If he wants me with him. What's the only reason I stay on this earth? What's the only thing I can do on this earth I can't do in the new earth? Help people. That's the only thing I can do there, here that I can't do there. If it were not for me being an able minister, why well, he'd take me straight to glory the moment I got saved because my goal is to be with him. His goal is to have me as a son, daughter, friend, bride forever. The only reason I stay here is the able minister part. If you're on this planet and you're born again, you're here because of the able minister part. He's working to work in your life and I want you to notice something. It's not one of them I should get with it. No, he's, who's doing it? He has made you. He's already done it. Now, the scripture is very clear. It's in the past tense. He made us and he made us what? You say, I wouldn't be a very good minister. Why do you argue with God so much? Go back and read it. He has made us sufficient, capable as an able minister of the new covenant by the spirit of God working through you. This is how he sees you. Now, listen to me. I don't care whether you got a position that says reverend or not. I don't care whether you get paid to be in ministry or not. That's not the issue. The issue is two things. You are an able minister and it will be done by his spirit in you, working through you. And th this is our great call. Now, <clears throat> question. We need to clarify something here because I need to help you with your thinking from scripture tonight. When, you, when I say ministry, what do you think of? Sad looking old man in a coat and tie who's never smiled. You understand? No. When, what, is, what is this word ministry? All right, what does our culture say about ministry? That means you've got a title, means you've got a position, uh, yada, yada. When Jesus calls somebody a minister, what's the whole definition of it? 
Turn with me to John 21. This is where he defines minister or ministry. You ever heard anybody say, well, my son's in the ministry? You need to tell him we all are. We're going to, it, we're going to look at the heart of a minister tonight, ministry. See, we, you know, we think a minister, we got this worldly concept of a guy who's been to, he's had training, um, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever your concept of ministry is. What does Jesus call a minister? He's fixing to put us all in business. He put one in business here. He's fixing to put us all in business. John 21, Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. He's fixing to go back to the father and he's going to turn this whole, he's going to turn the greatest enterprise in world history over to folks like you and me. What is more important on this earth than the eternal kingdom of God and the salvation and blessing of people's souls? Nothing even comes close. Guess who he turned it over to? All righty. John 21 is where he's turning it over. Uh, let's just put in right here. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah. This is John 21, 16. Son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, uh, you know, I love you. And he said to him, what? Take care of my people. That's ministry right there. Ministry is not to be able to explain things in Greek and Hebrew. And it's not to have a certain depth of knowledge. It is to tend my sheep. Simply put, take care of people. That's all ministry is. That's just it. That's the whole, Jesus put ministry in three words. Now he asked him three times. The first time he said, feed my lambs. Second time he said, ten. The word ten is the Greek word, take care or care for my sheep. And then the third time he said, feed my sheep. Um, so what is the whole, what is the entire work of ministry to turn all, Jesus turn all this over to us? He said, well, brother, I'm in the ministry. I need some training. Well, read John 21, go do it. Just take care of people. The entire scope of ministry is to care about people and their well-being. That's, that's the whole, it's everything we're called to be. Uh, let, me, let me help you with something here that we're really struggling with this in America. I don't know if they're struggling anywhere else because I don't live anywhere else. We're really struggling with this thing about Jesus and his family in the American church and in American Christianity. I saw a book not long ago that said, I love God, but I hate the church. I love Brother Brian, but I hate his wife. That ain't gonna fly with me, Doc. Uh, this is a terrible illustration, but it's all I got right now. I got married 40 years ago coming up, and my sweetheart, I, I like animals. They're, they're all right. With gravy. All right, we get married. If, if I were gonna have an animal, it would be a dog, a real dog. Not these mutations we have today that go in the house. Like a big slobbering red bone dog. That's a dog. All right. All right. But I, you know, dogs will lick you. They'll smile at you. They'll love you. But a cat? They're snotty. Right, we get married and my wife has this cat. And I thought, you know what? She lived at her daddy's house. They had a cat. My wife had a cat there. And I thought, surely she's not going to bring that cat into this marriage. I don't hate cats. I just, ain't my thing. They're snotty. And uh, we get ready to go. She comes in with this cage, got this cat in this box. I said, who are you giving him to? She wanted to bring that cat to my house, our house, our new house. 
This was not discussed before the preacher said, do you? As we were loading that truck after she gets it, well, I'm, I'm taking it home with us. Furthermore, to make it even more evil, she had had it declawed, which means it has to stay in the house. Crap right in there in the house. But I'm carrying this too far. And she just smiled at me and she said, love me, love my cat. And she let me know we a package deal. Do you want us or not? I didn't care enough for that cat, but I'm going to tell you something. I like her. And I had to take them both. Come on, y'all. Me and mom and our cat. Dear ones, this talk of I love Jesus, but I don't love, you can't do that. When Jesus comes into your heart, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Who's that you're bringing with you? He says, the whole family. Love me, love my children. Are you with me? How many of you know the family of God is a blended family? You, you can't love Jesus and not want his children. There's times you'd like to kick their butt till their noses bleed, but you still cannot let them go. Last, listen to me, last thing Christ says on this earth before he leaves, is it some complicated theological espousement? Is, is it a command to behave? What's the last thing he says? Take care of my people. What's on a man's heart? People. People are on his heart. You, you, you say, I love Jesus. Let me measure it by watching how you take care of people. Is that fair? This is, this is the, uh, there's no Jesus without the whole crowd right there. So ministry, you know what ministry is? It's just, it's just loving people and taking care of people. It's that simple. It don't have to be complicated. Don't have to be fancy. Now, question, <clears throat> what qualifies a man or woman to be in the ministry? In other words, what, what makes a good minister? You know, what, what is it that qualifies us to be in the ministry? Now, religious organizations say this, we've got to, you got to have to have an education. So you got to, right now, the, uh, like a large church in my denomination that I'm still affiliated with, you have to have uh, nine years of college education. They want you to have a bachelor's degree, master's degree, and then they want you to have another graduate degree. You know, they, they matter of fact, I, a number of churches won't even look at you without at least a master's level degree in theology. I had a church contact me a while back and said, we, we'd love for you to come think about being our pastor. I said, I'm not qualified. I said, what do you mean you're not qualified? A little church run about 300. I said, I'm not qualified. I said, go look in your bylaws. I don't have enough education to be your minister. And they said, we'll make an exception. I said, no, you don't make me mad now. You didn't take me. I wasn't going nowhere anywhere. They, they were aggravating me. But you have to have a certain amount of education. Listen, you have to have the ability to speak. Who ever heard of a preacher who can't speak? God knows some of you wish they couldn't. And you have to have credentials. Isn't that, isn't that what we think of as minister? None of that is scriptural. If you'd have read the first two verses in 2 Corinthians 3, it would have said that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He said this to him: Are you demanding to see my credentials? Do I need to present you letters from somebody that I'm your minister? He said, you are my credentials. My credentials are changed lives, not a piece of paper on a wall. He said, we, our credentials are from such and such an organization. You know what the Bible said your credentials are? The touch of God on your life to help people. Did you know Paul was an unlicensed minister? How does a man that is not even ordained get to write half the Bible? That don't make no sense, does it? 
Let me tell you why he got sent to minister. Galatians chapter two, when James and uh, when Peter and James, who seemed to be pillars, saw the touch of God on my life, they sent us to minister to the Gentiles. He had no papers, but he had the hand of God on him. That says, you don't need to be licensed or ordained to preach, but you have to have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. You have to have the love of God inside of you. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, why do y'all ordain ministers here? So they can get free parking at the hospital. And they ask, can I go a little further? Did you know Jesus, Jesus was an unlicensed minister? Did you know the ministerial association of his day called him out on not having a ministerial license and asked him where his license was at? You don't remember that, do you? The Pharisees came to him and said, under what authority do you do these works? They wouldn't know where he was licensed or what are your credentials? He said, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me the answer, I'll tell you the answer. He said, John the Baptist who ministered, where did he get his license from? They said, we need to talk to each other a minute. They huddled up and they said, if we say he got them from nowhere, this crowd will kill us. If we say that God gave them to him, he'll ask us, how come we didn't listen to him? We're out of luck either way. Jesus has the neatest way of painting you into your own corner when you start messing with him. I love the man. So he came back and said, we don't know. And he said, then it ain't none of your business where I got mine from. You know what he said? If you didn't recognize the hand of God on John, you won't recognize it on me. I don't need a paper. You don't have to get, go order for a mail order license to be a minister. You need a heart and you need people that need help. It's all you need right there. And I think we're all in it. Now, let me show you what Jesus says about credentials or, or what makes a minister. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. I want to see one of the greatest truths. And I'm going to say some things that I pray are not controversial, but I just think that we need to get back to the Bible. Somebody should start a radio program, Back to the Bible. Philippians chapter two, all right? The, the greatest, most gifted, most powerful minister to ever lived. He wrote half the Bible. <clears throat> he's caught up where he's at right now. He's in prison, so he can't go around and take care of his people. He cares about them so much. He can't get to them. So he's gonna send different ministers to help them. And it, he's got one ministry he works the closest with this young man, and his name is Timothy. Timothy was his young protege, if you wanna call it that, in the ministry. He loved him dearly. Timothy also was a pastor that, he, that Paul had appointed to a church named the church at Ephesus because you know, he was the pastor there. And matter of fact, there are 27 churches mentioned in the New Testament. Three of them were very large, what we'd call mega churches. Ephesians was one of them. So this young man is very young. He's been made the pastor of this church, but at this time he's not there. And Paul says, I'm gonna send some help. I want you to watch what he says. I wish I'd come to you, but I can't. Verse 8, 19, Philippians 2, 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your condition. What do you say to him? How you're doing is very important to me. I've got to, remember they had no cell phones. You couldn't text. There wasn't but one way to find out how people were doing. You had to go see him. And he said, I'm very concerned about how you're doing. I'm gonna send Timothy because I can't come. Watch verse 20. I have no one like-minded. What's like-minded me? I don't have anybody like me who will sincerely care for your condition. What did he say? He didn't say, y'all let him come, he's licensed. He didn't say he sold books. He didn't say he speaks in a big church. He said, this is the one guy I've got that I know will really care about what's going on in your life. It, listen to me. This man had been 
For 30 years he'd been ministering and building churches, whatnot. Isn't it unusual that he said, of all the ministers I've got, I've only got one that really cares about the true condition of people. He said, I don't have anybody else to send. I'm sending you a young man that I know will care about you. Somebody should come up with a saying that goes like this. Since we love knowledge in this land so much, somebody should come up with this saying. We love how smart we are. Nobody really cares how much you know till they know how much you care about them. This is, the, this is the missing element of the gospel and ministry that we've gotten away from in the land today. And he said, I'm sending this man he really cares about. Just read a little further. <clears throat> Verse 21, all seek their own. It didn't say they're smoking crack. He didn't say they're out running around chasing hussies. He just said they're so caught up in their own lives. I can't get them to really care and minister to the people. And, uh, you know, he proved as a father, son, and the father. That's the, what, what is the heart of Timothy, who pastored one of the large churches by the way, he had no education. He had no training. You say, I know none of these guys had any education in the Bible, Brother Brian, but that was back then. Let me point out, I thought they did a pretty good job in the Bible without no education. Just thought I'd throw that in. This man has such a heart for these people. Let me tell you something. It's not about doing what you have to do. We've got to get off this thing about it's my duty. We need to, this is what Ephesians says, do the will of God out of your heart. Do it from the heart. Let me show you a heart. Just across the page. Philippians 1, verse 3. Watch this man writing to his people. I thank my God. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God every time I think about you. Always in every prayer of mine, praying for you with joy because of our relationship in the gospel. Uh, Let's look in verse 7. It's right for me to think this way of you. I love you so much. Look at this. I have you in my heart. Does that sound like a cold, calculating preacher who's telling them what to do? That's a man who's got these people in his heart. Both in my chains, defense of the gospel, your protection of me of grace. Verse 8, God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus. Only God knows how much I love you and how much I care about you. This is the heart. Uh, By the way, he didn't try to work this up, did he? We're not sufficient of ourselves. Our sufficiency is the heart of God inside of us by the Holy Spirit. What's the number? Does anybody know this? Let me ask a trick question. You believe in the Holy Spirit. You believe he he comes inside of us and we get saved. What's the number one thing he does when he comes inside a believer? Yes, I believe he gives them the gift of tongues or prophecy or healing or he takes them up into the third heaven for a jaunt around. What's the number one thing the Holy Spirit should be doing in a believer's life? Romans 5, 5. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We sang an old song years ago says, give me that old time religion. Listen to this. Makes me want to love everybody. I'll throw this in being cute. I had a person that said, makes the Baptist love the Methodist. Good luck. <laughs> Turn to the right one. Look in first. I shouldn't have said that. Turn with me to first Thessalonians. Let me show you. Let me show you the heart of, a, of ministry. It's not because you have to. Dear ones, we got to get off this stuff because I have to. That's unscriptural. I delight to do your will. And what you want me to do is the desire of my heart. That's Jesus working in a life right there. We just got to find that place. I want you to look at the heart of Paul. And he's writing to another church. He started this church. He loves these people dearly. He loves them dearly. By the way, they had no smoke machines. They had no disco lights. I'm fixing to get crazy. They didn't even have a website. They didn't have nothing except God and each other, and they loved each other. 
That's all they had, period. Read with me a little bit here. Uh, let's, let's look in Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 2. Uh, put in about um, verse 4. As we, me and you, have been approved by God to be trusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Listen, dear ones, it doesn't say I, it says we. We have been entrusted by God to take care of people and we've been given the greatest message, truth, whatever, to take care of them. And he said, verse five, he said, I wasn't there for your money. Verse six, I wasn't there to get, to get famous. Verse seven, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased not only to tell you the gospel of God, we would have given our own lives for you because you came so dear to us. What do you hear right there? I don't hear a guy passing through town wanting to make money and get a show. I hear a guy who says, I love you so much. I not only would have told you about Jesus, I'd have laid down my life for you. You know what this is? This is the heart of ministry. This is the heart of God to care for people. And then here's a great, you know, he put, he said, I said I'm like a mama with a child with y'all. That's ministry. What's this picture? Um, verse 11. And you know how we encouraged and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. How do you deal with them? As a, folks they were using for him to get somewhere, he said, you're like my own children to me. There's the heart of ministry is that God puts something inside of you where you care for people like they're your own children. It's the love of a father. And it's a father's heart like that. It's, it's just absolutely beyond measure. So tell me all through the Bible, what is the qualification to be a minister? To have the heart of God. It's, to, it's just to care about people. You don't, listen, let me make an announcement. You don't even have to know what you're doing to be in ministry. But you have to know Jesus and care about people. Whole nine yards. All right, let's look at it. Let's look at the call. Turn with me to Mark chapter one. In Mark chapter one, you talk about, listen, you, if y'all could see the Jesus of the Bible instead of the Jesus of religion, you'd fall in love with him. You talk about something funny. <clears throat> All right. Jesus is God Almighty stepped down to the earth. He's on a mission to save the whole world. He is the only hope of humanity for eternity. He's it. And he's come down to this earth to take back what was stolen and to bring the greatest truth ever and to bring people into redemption. All right. He's going to make the sacrifice, but he's going to need some help doing this. You got the greatest mission ever in world history on planet earth. Who would you pick to help you? Where would you go, Harvard? Who are you going to pick to help you? Watch Jesus as he's picking the folks to change the world. Mark chapter one, um, verse, let's look at Mark chapter one, verse uh, 15. Now let's look at verse 16, Mark 1, 16. As he walked by the sea, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea. They were fishermen, time out. Anybody here know any commercial fishermen? I got a couple that are buddies. I've met several in my days down there at the coast. And uh, most of them wear coats and ties to work. They're the most polished, gracious people. Their hands are soft as a baby's butt. If they is a crusty, rough human being on this planet, they're working on them boats. They don't even know how rough they are. They are rough as a cob. They ain't nothing polished about them. They are profane and they are funny to me. I love them. They're, they're rough. They're, they're uneducated. They're, they're just rough people. So Jesus goes up to these fishermen and uh, he said in verse 17, Jesus said to them, 
follow me and I will make you a Baptist. He did not say go to church and become, I'm not knocking Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, put, I'm putting anything in there. He didn't say go to church and become religious. He said, follow, walk with me in life and I'll do something with you. Now let's look at this verse right here. Every person that follows Jesus, he does something for them. Tell me what he does. Let's read it. Follow me and I will make you, I'll cause you to care about people. Did he say, go learn how to do it or try to do it? He said, you just walk with me. It'll happen as we walk together. As you follow me, something's going to happen inside of you. And you're going to start, number one, you don't fish for men unless you care about them. I've said to my wife a few times, let's go fishing. She'll tell me, I don't care nothing about that stuff. (laughs) Dear ones, tell me what, what is the effect of following Jesus according to that verse? You start taking care of people. You, start, you don't have to be trained. It's just automatic. Follow the man, follow the Jesus of the Bible. You're going to start caring about people. You can't help but do it. I mean, it's just automatic. And uh, verse 18, they immediately left their nets. This is crazy. You would just walk off from your day job because this man walked up to you. They did it. And what'd they do? They didn't become religious. They were hated by the religious organization, but they pursued the man, Christ Jesus. Did they become fishers of men? Does anybody know? Big time. Big time. They laid down their lives for people. They'd have put a cussing on you and wouldn't give you the time of day before they met Jesus. But after they met Jesus, they laid their lives down to help people and died trying to help people. That's the change Jesus makes in a life. Let me make an announcement. Jesus hadn't changed none either. Now, in case you're challenging me, turn to Acts chapter four. Here's a permanent verse I want you to remember. I want you to look at true ministry. Acts chapter four. I love this verse. This is where I found my place in the church. Acts chapter four. Did they follow Jesus? They did. They walked together. And listen to me, just being around him rubbed off on them. Do you understand that? Just being around him rubbed off on them. They, these guys, they never had a book. They never went to a study course. They just hung around Jesus and something rubbed off on them. Jesus goes back to glory. Something came down on them, the spirit of Jesus and they immediately started helping people and caring about, that's all they did was care about people. They didn't hold fancy church services. They just took care of people. You can read what they did in the early part of the book of Acts. All right, because they're helping people, the church is mad because once again, Peter and John are preaching without a license and they're preaching stuff that they don't like. So they haul them into the court, haul them into church court there and uh, giving them a fit. I want you to watch what the Bible says about that day. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness in Peter of John and perceived that they were what? Uneducated and untrained men. Now the the old King James reads it like this, ignorant and uneducated men. Stop right there. Tell me the educational stand, the educational place of two of the greatest preachers that ever lived. Zero. See that other word? See the word ignorant? Guess what that means? Some people say, well, you know, if you're, if you're a really sharp guy or gal, and even without education, if you're really sharp, you can do it. They weren't sharp either. They were ignorant. They were backwards, redneck, ignorant fishermen. You want to see, you want to know a great mystery? Explain to me how educate, uneducated, ignorant men wrote the Bible. Did those two guys they got in front of them, Peter and John, did they write part of the Bible? How many books Peter write? Take a wild guess. First and second Peter. 
This redneck, ignorant fisherman, he didn't go to school one day in his life. Guess what he did? He hung around Jesus. And he told him, he said, you just stick around me. Something will happen in your life. You'll start doing something. He wrote, how many books did John write? He wrote the gospel of John, the three epistles, one, two, three, John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. All that and just hanging around Jesus. And he was still ignorant. I'm telling you, you don't have to have a whole lot if you got Jesus on the inside. Amen. Listen to this. We could have read further in 2 Corinthians. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the greatness of the power might be of God and not because we're hot. I like that right there. Anyway, this was their, uh, would you say that they were effective ministers? Two redneck fishermen followed Jesus. They changed the world just because they hung around with Jesus. And here's, here's what an effective minister is. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to be mistake free. The, the guy, Simon, we mentioned, how many of y'all know after he started following Jesus, he never screwed up again. Find me somebody screwed up as much as he did along the way. He said, yeah, but he got straightened out at Pentecost. No, he didn't. He was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The power of God came on his life. Read Acts chapter 10. God is still trying to get him to quit hating people of another race. And he'd already raised the dead with his shadow. Listen to me. Listen to me. Here's the deal. You don't have to be super spiritual and you don't have to be well educated. You just have to walk with Jesus and have a heart for people. Period. Let's, read, let's finish reading this verse. This is good. Verse 13. Acts 4, 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and saw that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled, but they realized they had what? What qualifies you to help people? You just hang around Jesus. You know why they got, you know why these men rocked the world, wrote the Bible and did what they did? They just had a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is what qualifies you to help people. And it's not that he tells you what to do. It's because he puts his heart inside of you. But literally the heart of Jesus is transferred inside of you when you hang around him like that. Uh, all, right, all right, turn with Mark chapter six. Let me, since I talked about the heart of Jesus. How many of you think Jesus is fed up with people today? Hang on a minute. I didn't say the preachers. I said Jesus. It was when Jesus Christ looks out across America and sees what we're doing in this land. Do you think he's just sick of us? Do you think he's just disgusted? When he looks at you and he sees your failures and your struggles, do you think he's had all he's going to put up with? Listen to me. Quit listening to the racket in your head and the junk on the radio and start reading the Bible. Watch Jesus looking at people. Mark chapter 6. And I could show you this. No few places in the Gospels. Mark 6. Uh, Jesus is in a house. All of a sudden people just show up. Mark 6, 34. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was aggravated with them because they wouldn't quit smoking. Jesus Christ walks out of that house. Who's out there? Folks just like me and you. Some were a little better than others. They were doing the best they could. Some went to church. Some didn't care. Some used his name in vain. He just looks out and he sees people. And what happened in his heart when he saw people? He looked out, he saw the people and his heart was moved with compassion. His heart became tender toward people because of the condition they were in. Watch what it says. His heart, verse 34, he was moved with compassion for them because, because, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. How does Jesus see people? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They need help. 
let me tell you something about these, we, you know, these people we look down our noses at. The little teenage girl that gets pregnant from the wrong side of town. If you were raised like she was raised, if you'd been through what she'd been through, we look at some guy laying on an alley with newspapers covering him. If you had been there where he'd been. See, the deal is not to, the deal is not to know why they got there. The deal is to see people like sheep without a shepherd. You get to hanging around Jesus, you begin to see people like he does, which then causes you to do what? What can I do for you? How can I help you? There's this story about two preachers who didn't care. Jesus told it. And you ever heard the good Samaritan? Two preachers who didn't care about people hurting. And this one guy who'd never been to church in his life saw a guy in a ditch and said his heart grew tender toward him. Therefore, he helped him. It doesn't begin with a command. It don't begin with a responsibility. It begins with the heart of God. When you have the heart of God, you're going to look at people and say, not, crap, I better buy them something to eat. Jesus will see me not do it. <laughs> It begins with the heart of God being planted right here. And out of that heart, it becomes a joy. It, you just love doing it. He was moved with compassion. I want you to look, let's see if you get the language here. Let's read verse 34. Jesus came out. He saw a multitude. His heart was tender. He was moved with compassion because they, they were like people without a shepherd. We really need help. What's the word so mean? So he began to teach them. What's the word so mean? He ministered to the people because his heart was tender toward them. So when he, when he had compassion for them, that's when he helped them. Everything God did walking on this earth, he did it because his heart was tender toward people. Mark chapter two, a leper come up, came up to come up, came up to Jesus. I told you he didn't have no education. A leper came up to Jesus and said, I've seen what you can do. I know you can heal me. I just don't know if you want to or not. And Jesus was moved with compassion and healed him. Everything he did, let me make an announcement. The Bible does not say God was so smart that he sent his son to save the world. It says God so loved the world that he sent his son to save the world. We've gotten so big on knowledge and training, we've forgotten it's all, it's the heart. It all flows out of the heart with people. And uh, I, indulge me for a second. In our churches today, we have replaced heart care with education and splash. I'm not against education. Believe it or not, I got a little bit. I'm not against techniques. I'm not against the new methods or whatever. What happened to the heart just caring about people? We got away from something. And let me show you what's happened in our land. Let me show you what's happening in American homes today. Turn to 1 Corinthians 8. When we got away from heart compassion and began to rely on other things, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, one of the greatest truths you'll ever see. And it will explain so much of what's going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says this. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, and this is the king revealing something. Concerning things offered to idols, we know we all have knowledge. Would y'all like to stand up and cheer? We all know we're smart, don't we? Everybody knows we know something. Watch this. Knowledge makes people arrogant. Love builds people up. Why are we trying to use knowledge? All we're doing is just making ourselves arrogant, talking about how smart we are. I really don't know that we need to learn much more. I think we need to hear the voice of God and care about people. Do you want to help people? You want to help people? Quit worrying about how much you know. What does it say? Caring about people. Loving people is what helps people. This is the entire difference in the world. This, uh, 
when we shifted from caring about people to learning all the time, we got the arrogance that knowledge brings instead of the edification that compassion brings, that real love brings. And that's why the deal is they just love them. All right, let me, let me wrap this up. <clears throat> I need you to do something for me. I've shown you clearly in God's word tonight. Clearly, you can't deny it. You, can't, you ain't got no more excuses now. I've shown you clearly in God's word tonight. You are an able minister. I showed, we read it together. Amen. You're busted. Amen. From this day forward, when somebody says, do you know any ministers? You'll say, when they tell you, my son's in the ministry, tell them, what a coincidence, I am too. I'm not being cute. You are an able minister. From this day forward, you're an able minister. <clears throat> Let me tell you what I need for you to use. Now people say, I don't, I ain't been trained. Thank God. Thank God. How, I'm not being cute. How many people do I know? Young, when I was young, their hearts ached for people. They love people. They want to go, to, they wanted to help people. God is my witness. They went off to religious training and came back big heads and little hearts. They were, they were smart, but they didn't care anymore. They lost their passion for Jesus and people. Oh my goodness. I want you to do something for me. I want you to embrace your calling. I want you to embrace what God's called you to do. Now, if I were to ask in here, how many of you love Jesus? Hey, man, we got that and figured out. You know what Jesus would say to you? I'm happy. He would say, tend my sheep. John 21, 16, if you love me, tend my sheep. All right, so I'm, if I put you all in the ministry, now, let me tell you several things about your personal ministry. And no, you don't get to wear a dress. You're just in the ministry. He will make your ministry. Don't let somebody else tell you what it is. Don't you dare let somebody else define what it is for you. Only God knows what he wants you to do with people. He will define your ministry. Um, Jesus... Jesus said, follow me. To every one of us, he said, follow me. He did not say, go get trained in the way they do ministry. He didn't say copycat. He said, you follow me. You walk with me. And I'll, I'll put you in the ministry where I want to be. Can I ask a question? How many of you think Jesus had an unorthodox ministry? He scares me to death. He, he did not fit in. Mark chapter seven, he was asked, how come you don't do it the way the church says you're supposed to do it? You know what he said to them? How come you don't read the Bible? That's a pretty good answer, I thought. <laughs> he said, why do you neglect the Word of God? Jesus was unorthodox. When's the last time you, somebody, Brother Brown, I glaucoma, would you pray for me? <laughs> When's the last time you spit in her eye to help him? I'm telling you, the man was unorthodox. He was very interesting too. All right, Jesus had an unorthodox ministry. All right, I'm, I'm, this is so simple. If you follow a man who had a ministry as unorthodox with his out of the box, would you just not be able to out of the box? Just saying. Turn the, we're right there. Turn back a couple pages, 1 Corinthians 12. It is dangerous to try to copy somebody else in what they're doing. He's got your specific set plan for you. And this is one of the hardest things I get people to, even ministers, ordained ministers, have a hard time understanding this. Because we want to look at somebody else, learn how to do it. Look to God. That, Jesus didn't say follow them. He said, follow me. First, three verses. First Corinthians 12, talking about spiritual gifts and how he's given all of us a gift. Verse four, there are differences of gifts, same spirit. He said, well, Brother Brown, I can't talk. Well, then you're not supposed to. I know, Lord, you can't speak in public. That's not your gift. That's my gift. 
There are, can you see in that verse that the same Holy Spirit that would give me a gift to speak to people is going to give you an entirely different way to help people? What does it mean? Differences of gifts, same spirit. Can the same Holy Spirit do something in me and it's completely different in you? Right there it is. That's why you can't learn from anybody else. You've got to follow Jesus. Next verse, five. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. You know why I can't imitate nobody else's ministry? What if it's not mine? I mean, he gives me this type of ministry with this type of church, yada, yada. We saw Gene on the video Sunday. Gene, don't, he don't sit in an office, sit out there. He works on trucks and goes down there and cares for struggling inner city kids every evening. Those ministries aren't even close. Guess who put us both in there? And you, you say, well, do I have to? He's got your deal. I want you to be very careful. Don't learn what Jesus wants you to do from somebody else. Let him show you. And then the, I love the, my favorite one's verse six. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God working in everybody. To the Romans, you might become a Roman. I got friends that are bikers. They came out of the biker community. They are rough as a cob. I mean, they wouldn't last three days in an uppity church. They'd get killed, but they work out great with the biker community. I got folks who are in different kinds. I got folks who don't even have a ministry, but they're in ministry. I mean, they minister all the time. They can't help it. It just flows out of them. Wherever they go, they help people. So you be very careful. He will make your ministry. He'll show you what it is. Number two, the Bible says you're already shaped for the ministry he wants you to have. It's there. I had these gifts the day I got saved. I didn't know which one was up. You've got the gifts. You, everybody has got a gift. The scripture is very clear about that. You're already shaped for your music. Say, I would hate to stand up and preach. Well, then that ain't you. That's not your call. I had a friend one time, he preached for 30 years and he, he got done and, he, and he, he said truth of the matter. And then he took a job, a part-time job doing pastoral care for a large church. Told me, he said, I hated every minute of that 30 years, but I love what I'm doing now. He wasted all that time because they stuck him in a slot that wasn't geared for him. You're, you're, you've got what you need, not just the gifts. You've got the personality. I got friends that can do things I can't do. And it'll make, when I get out around people, I'm, I love to fuss at y'all up here, but in a crowd, I'm just pretty quiet. But I got friends, when they walk in a crowd, you better clear them a path. They're going to know everybody in there for it, said and done. And they're going to they're gonna jump. If they sit there and if they get done eating, they're going to jump up and start serving tables. That, that's just... You've got the personality he wants to use for your call. He wants to use exactly what you got. And so I don't have what they got. Listen to what the Bible said. We are not so foolish as to compare ourselves with somebody else. He gave you exactly what he wants you to have. And uh, you, you're, you might be the office chaplain. You, you might be, who knows? He might say your ministry is to go into the school system and, and care for those kids. Nobody can. We got to get out of this American ministry mindset and say, God will show me what he wants me doing. And number three, here's the big one. You will love being in the ministry. If you're called to minister, you're called to enjoy it. And you will love it. If, if you say, well, I've got to serve God. I'm staying at stupid nursery. We done missed something here. I may even know being in a nursery can get nasty. Oh, you ain't been there. But if that's what he's called you to do, you will love it. He might call you. I got a girl. She's an ex. I don't have a girl. I'm sorry. I have a friend. Starting not a girlfriend. You can tell I'm trying to back out of this thing, can't you? She's an ex-prostitute. That's why she's not my girl. Not as gifted as I thought I was. I know this girl. She's a friend of mine. She's an ex-prostitute. Do you really think she needed to go run the Ladies' Tea Society at the Missionary Union? 
guess who she goes back and helps? What she came out of. Now send me to help a bunch of prostitutes, they're going to run. <laughs> Maybe not. The deal is, I want you to understand something. You will love the ministry he gives you. You'll, you'll eat it. It will, be, it will probably be unorthodox. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, you love what he puts you into. Let's wrap up. Turn me to John chapter 4. Let me show you that you will love what God wants you to do in ministry. I think it's the saddest thing in all the world that we have crammed people into this cookie cutter mold instead of saying, Jesus made you, let him tell you what he wants you to be. And the Bible says this, do not be conformed to this world. Let God make what he wants to out of you. I wrote in my Bible, do not be conformed to this religious world. Let Jesus make, make you what he wants you to be. All right, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jesus was a very unorthodox minister. He did not do it the way it was supposed to be done. Can I get a witness? He offended religious people. John 4 is one of those very unorthodox places where Jesus is ministering. But can we settle this? Jesus is right. Even when the preacher said, you're of the devil, he's right. I love John chapter 4. It's one of those unorthodox places in ministry. They're traveling. They're on a mission trip. And for some reason, Jesus says to the boys, let's travel. We'll cut through Samaria. We'll get there 10 miles quicker. That don't mean nothing to you, does it? The 12 boys, none of them wanted to go through Samaria because they were Jews. And you, you don't know anything about prejudice in America like they had back then. They despised those Samaritans. They were of another race. Actually, they were half-breeds of two races that they hated. He hated the, Jesus didn't. The disciples didn't want to be around those people. Remember, trying, still trying to get Simon straightened out in Acts chapter 10, years after this. He said, we're going through Samaria. They said, Joe, don't touch nothing. Don't touch nothing. He marched, I mean, what are you going to do? Tell God no? Marched him through there. He comes to a well. Remember this? John, he comes to a well. He's tired. He said, y'all go to, the, there's a Dairy Queen I saw back up a ways there. Y'all, y'all go get something to eat. It's not a Dairy Queen. He said, y'all just go get us something to eat. So they're going to go get something to eat. Jesus is sitting there, by the way, and he sees a woman. She's a Samaritan. She's a slut. That's what she was. And everybody in the town knew it. She was the town pass around. And Jesus walked over there and he sat down on the well and he started talking to her. She was shocked. And she said to him, I didn't think your kind of people talked to me. And he kept trying to love her and talk to her. She kept throwing curveballs at him, trying to aggravate him. He kept knocking them down with compassion. He kept answering her back, being kind to her. He kept being gracious to her. And, and she wanted to get in a religious discussion. He said, that's not the issue. He just, all he was wanting to do was trying to help. The man is tired. He's off duty waiting for lunch. Can't he take a break? My day off. That great heart cannot stop caring about people and helping people. He couldn't stop even when he was tired and resting. So he goes, he's just talking to her. He's just loving her. And this is, you, you got you to see the humor in it. Jesus was funny. This humorous. The disciples come back up and they walked up and they stood there and stared. You could have stuffed a whole bologna sandwich in their mouths. <laughs> they were stunned. You just don't understand this culturally. They were stunned. It said, but they dared not ask him about it. I bet you didn't. That man talking to that woman was pure scandalous like you've never seen. Well, that don't relate to us because we're not in the culture. But if you'd have been there, you would have said, number one, what is the preacher doing with the prostitute? And number two, her. Let me help you with it. Can I help you with this? Paint a little picture here. 
the minister, minister. Y'all know what a minister is, don't you? Minister, minister of the First Baptist Church, not in our city. I'm going to tell you which city in a minute. The minister of the First Baptist Church. He's out in front of his church. And all of a sudden, a car rolls slowly by, and it's one of the local cheap two-bit prostitutes. He's a white monster. She's a black prostitute. She starts rolling by. Everybody near in town rolling by. He says, hey, 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 come here. So he waves her over. She pulls her car over right there in front of the church. He smiles. He said, did you give me a ride somewhere? How about take me with you? So he gets in his car and the monster rides off with one of the cheap local prostitutes. She's white and she's black. Guess what? I bet that preacher didn't know. Two of the ladies from the ministerial union were standing right outside the church door and they saw it with our own eyes. They saw it. <laughs> Telling you the truth. So after they revived them, He's gone for two hours. The deacons are out front of the church because they're fixing to have a seven o'clock monthly deacons meeting. Five or six of them out there visiting. They see this car pull up. They know who she is. And they stand there. You could have blown a sandwich to their mouths. Is that our apostle in that car? He pulls up. He gets out of the car right in front of them. Says to her, said, thanks. See you later. She drives off. You ain't heard the best parts yet. He turns around and says, happening, boys. Let, let, me, let me really get it in context here. The year is 1955. This is the First Baptist Church of Selma, Alabama. It's that crazy. It's crazier than that. You see why they dared, or see why they stood there like that? Let me make an announcement. Jesus was always concerned about his reputation in front of religious people. He didn't give a flight. He, didn't, he couldn't have cared less. <laughs> Doing some good in that, are we? He could not have cared less. Now listen to me. He wasn't sticking it in their ear. He was more concerned about helping people, no matter who they were, than he was in keeping religious people happy. Here's my point. If you follow a man who acted like that, be careful. You might start acting like him. I just thought I'd point that out. And he, he all right, go back with me to this story. This is what we're talking about here. That's exactly what he was doing right here. Engaging this woman of another race who was a, I don't know if she was a prostitute or if it's free. I don't know, but that was her. They, nobody had been caught near this woman. He went right over there and he, he just loved her. And you know what his message was to her? Not you nasty thing. You know what his message was? You keep drinking this water, you'll always thirst. Drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. You know what he said? Cheap, loveless sex will never satisfy the hole in your soul. Only my spirit. And he loved her. He cared for her. And he, he did that off duty when he was waiting on lunch and he was tired. Didn't a man ever get a break? This great heart has got to help people. Now here's, I've told you all that just to show you this. Watch verse 34. Let's read verse 34. They said to Jesus, we need to eat. He said, I got food. You don't know anything about verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. You know what he said? I'm tired. Yeah, I was tired. I was very tired. I needed to rest. I know y'all don't think much of that woman, but he said, doing this kind of stuff lights my fire. This is what brings me joy in life. Dear ones, I'm going to say it again. You will love being in the ministry if it's the one God puts you in. You'll be able to say just like Jesus, my food is to do the will. There's nothing I love more than caring about people and helping them if God's pointed me in that direction. 
Uh, let me uh, give you one more illustration. Oh, I said we was done, didn't I? Years ago, I had a man came to my church by accident. He was pastoring. And we were, we were very unorthodox in that church. It was smaller, more unorthodox than we are here. I had a friend come and I said, we're going to bring the high school football team and the band to church today. I said, don't do religious music. Imagine that. I said, don't do religious music. None of them know it. Do music that'll help them. This guy's a great musician. He could just take off on the cuff. So he got up and he started the service with the theme song to the Beverly Hillbillies. Let's all stand and sing. Come and listen to my story. I had the words. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jeff. I mean, he was rocking. We had the whole crowd. And for, we had him on the first song. He goes, what kind of church is this that sings songs like this? It got worse after that. And uh, they came and a boy in the band came and asked his mom and dad, I, I got to go to this church. Would, would y'all just go with me? So they came with him just because he had just to support their son. They didn't want to go to church. So they came. You know what? They came back the next Sunday. They thought, dang, if you sing Beverly Hillbiz, why don't you sing next Sunday? He came and you know what? They, they liked it and they stayed and they joined my church and they stayed there for a while. And uh, I loved him. He was country as a turnip green. I loved him. He, he was the most sincere. Per- you, you, know, you just talk to some people know they're real sincere. He was the greatest guy. His name was Royce. And uh, we was talking one day. I'd gone over to see him with chit chat. He said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, what is it, Royce? He said, uh, I'm a preacher. I said, crap, I really liked you. <laughs> he said, no, he said, I, I pastored for years. And he said, uh, but church, church beat me up so bad, beat our family up so bad, we just quit going. He said, matter of fact, the last Sunday, he said, my wife and I was pastoring, he told me the name of the church, such so Judge Baptist Church. He said, we went in the front door and said, as we were getting in, got there early and said, the deacons were waiting on us right there. And said, so we went in and the deacons said, we need to talk to you for a minute. They took me to the side and they said, we heard you went with square dancing with your wife last Thursday night. He said, yeah, it's a blast. Good exercise too. They fired him right there. This man had poured his soul into that place and loved it. They fired him for going square dancing. And you wonder why I get so ill with preachers. I mean, with religious people. Fired him right there. He, he's not the type to fight and get ugly. He just turned around and left with a broken heart. And when he just, just didn't go to church, just quit. He said, he loved God, but he had about all the church he could take. And, uh, but his son, a couple years, I hadn't been to church for two or three years. His son asked him, would you just come with me to go this crazy? He said, y'all have heard how crazy that church is. Let's go. So they went and he ended up liking it. He ended up staying. And I said, well, Royce, you need to get back into ministry. He said, I'll kick your butt. I said, hang on. Just don't do it. The way. I said, let God put you where he wants you. He never went back to preaching in the pulpit. He didn't have to, he didn't have to wear a tire again in his life. Guess what his ministry was? He was raised without a daddy. He knew how tough that was. So he gathered every little old wretched, couldn't get their britches on straight boy in my church and didn't have a daddy at home from these single mamas. And he took them all out to his farm and he loved them. And that was his ministry. Led them to Jesus. Taught them how to treat women. Taught them how to fish. Taught them how to use a pocket knife without getting hurt. And he, found, he said, I'm having the best time, preacher. If I'd have known this 20 years ago, I'd have never put up with them piss ants down there at that church. You know what happened? God called him in the ministry, but he let somebody else tell him how to do it. He loved when he got in his ministry. You will too. And, and it's not just, well, this is my ministry. It's ministries every day. There'll be opportunities in front of you every day. Somebody, I got to hurry. Good gosh, is it that late? I'm sorry. <laughs> He'll be there every day. Now, okay, I do need to, to be honest with you. I need to give you the disclaimer. 
If you try to help people, you might get in trouble once in a while. You could get hurt. All Royce was doing was trying to help them country folks and they burned him. You can get hurt. But let me tell you something about getting hurt helping people. Um, I want you to see a picture for me. Do this in your mind. I want you to look at Jesus hanging on the cross. You remember Jesus hung on the cross. I've never seen a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross that was even close. I've never seen one that painted him like he really looked. Because Isaiah 53, the passage that talks about his crucifixion, says his visage was marred more than any man. He was beaten beyond recognition. His face was torn completely off. And he was crucified naked. And of course, I don't think it's right to paint pictures of him naked. You, you know that. But I just want you to see a man whose face is so beyond, it's just, he's been pummeled. Hanging on the cross. Now remember, he said seven last sayings on the cross, seven things, and then he died. But do you realize he hung on the cross for a while dead? You know, see, Joseph of Arimathea had to leave, go find the governor. He had to get permission to go get his body. That took a while. So he's hanging on the cross dead. I want you to see that picture of Jesus hanging on the cross dead. Here's the caption. Trying to help people can get a man hurt. Trying to help people can get a man hurt. So I'm afraid I'll get hurt. You probably will. If you go help people, you'll probably get hurt. No doubt about it. He'll heal you. What's the option? Never try to help anybody, never get hurt. That ain't happening. That ain't happening. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> it's worth it. it. It's worth it. There's no joy like the joy of having somebody come to you and say, I made it because you called me. I made it because you got involved. Some of the best ministers I know couldn't pass the entrance exam to get into school, but they just know God. All right, here's my final word, my third final word. If I don't tell you this, I'm not a good minister. There's going to be a test at the end of this life. Can I get a witness? You've heard that before. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to, you're going to give an account for your life. <clears throat> now listen to me. He's not going to ask you one word about smoking, drinking, or cussing. And that don't mean you can go out and start doing it tonight. He didn't ever bring, that's not on the test. It's a simple test. There's only six things on the test and it's an open book test. He put it right in here. He named every six things he's got, all the six, every one of them. Here it is. You ready? And then we shall, they shall be brought before him. He shall separate them from the right and to the left, and they shall stand before him. And he will say to them on his right hand, come of you prepared to the gates of my father, prepared for you from the foundation of the world, because I was hungry and you called your pastor and got him fed. This is meant for effect right here. It doesn't say you called the church or you called the pastor. I was hungry and you took care of me. <clears throat> I was in prison and most prisons don't have bars on them. I was in prison. You didn't call the prison ministry church. You came and took care of me. What do you hear right there? Where did we get this stuff of calling the ministers to take care of the people? It's unscriptural. The professional clergy has damned the role of the church today in the earth. And one of my, of course, my favorite, Jesus said this, I was a stranger. You came out and called me and picked me up and said, come on to church with me. You didn't send a church bus after him. You didn't tell one of the deacons, you go get him to live near you. You did it. God, is this fun? Are we having fun tonight or what? It was fun for a while. You ain't funning now. I'm going to stand in front of Jesus. He's not going to ask me a word about smoking, drinking, cussing, or dancing, square dancing, farting in public. No, that's, that don't matter to me. Whatever you say. 
that, that religious stuff ain't on the test, dear ones. What's the only thing on the test? I was hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, a stranger. You, you, you came and helped me. Of course, they say, what? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We, ne- we prayed to you, but we never saw you on earth. He's going to say, well, yes, you did. Yes, you did. As you did it to the least of these, my brethren, that was me standing right there in them. Make you look at people different, doesn't it? When Jesus said, that's me standing right there. Well, listen, don't let that bother you. Guess what that means? Opportunity abounds out there tomorrow. The woods is full of them. Go get yourself one. All right. Got to quit. Raise your right hand. By the authority vested in me by the Southern Baptist Convention of the United States of America. Bigger than that, the word of God is going to last forever. I now ordain you, declare and announce forevermore, never to be rescinded. You are an able minister of the new covenant. Put your hand down. I'll mail you your certificate later, but you can go ahead and start ministering right now if you want to. Can I get a witness? I got two great joys in my life. Well, a bunch of two great joys in my life. One of them is I know Jesus. The other one is I get to help people in Jesus' name. That's the two great joys in my life. Lord, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you. I am so glad you're not like religion. I'm so glad that you love me with an everlasting love that'll never change. I thank you that you receive me just as I am. I thank you that you're cheering for me. You smile on me. You've blessed me. You've made your face to shine upon me. You've shown me mercy, grace, and peace. I love you. And then I thank you. Not only that, you smiled at me and said, won't you come on help me? I want to do for other people what I've done for you. And I thank you so much that I don't have to fit into a religious mold. Lord Jesus, I hate them preacher molds. I hate religious molds. You just told me, walk with me. Follow me. You follow me and I'll do the stuff. You just hang around with me and before long, you'll be out there taking care of them. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified and let the people be helped. Not because we're smart but because your heart's in our heart. I trust you for that. Precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.